seated. So in the first three chapters of this book of Ephesians, what we've called the identity chapters, Paul explains to all of us that we have a new identity in Christ Jesus, in whom we have been reconciled to God. And this is a profoundly relevant message for an uncertain time like this. In no way am I dismissing the reality and the prospects of the days to come. But Ephesians puts our life into context. And Ephesians explains how to live out this life that we have, what's left of it, the right way. We have been reconciled to Christ already. We have a new life. The call, believers, is now to live it out The world's faith has just been shaken. Nothing has actually changed. The world has just seen something that it had not seen before. That is, that we need something outside of ourselves to save us. This is not news to the church. It is news to the world. It is good news. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says, in fact, Jesus has already saved us. It says we were already dead. That seemed like an amusing idea when I preached it during the annual meeting. Suddenly it seems like a reality. We were already dead, says Ephesians 2, but now, love that but now, we are alive in Christ Jesus. And the language that Paul has chosen to use throughout the first half of this book just keeps on getting stronger. Chosen Called, elected, redeemed, ransomed, reconciled, saved, and sealed. Nothing can take your life away in Christ Jesus. On the cross, Christ Jesus gave us a new life that even death cannot take away. In fact, it makes it better. On the cross, Jesus exchanged his identity for our identity. He was judged in our place. He died in our place. We've been set free in his place and we are now alive in his place as well. The power of the cross lives in you. What this means is that our relationship with God that had been irreparably broken by sin has now been healed by grace. You know the Father. Now, in this uh, part two of the book of Ephesians, the activity chapters, as we've been calling them, we've started to look at the new activities that flow from our new identities. You have the identity of Christ, now you are called to the activity of Christ. And what an amazing opportunity a time like this is to live like Jesus. And the best place to see if this church really does live like Jesus, Paul says is in the way that we treat one another. Our human relationships are the best place to see if this church really is worth anything at all. Very clear in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Do please turn to it with me. I've changed the sermon considerably from the one that I planned. We've extended the series by a week and we're zooming in on just this one verse today. Ephesians 5, 21. 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the essence of what Jesus did was to submit. Jesus submitted to death even though uniquely he was entitled to life. Jesus actually uniquely was entitled to do whatever he wanted because he is God. But he decided to submit himself for us. In doing so, Jesus turned the world upside down. The Apostle Paul is about to turn the world upside down by modelling all human relationships on that moment. Every facet of every way we interact is modelled upon, founded upon, empowered by the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about their world for a moment when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. Society was at the time institutionally hierarchical. As our gospel reading said, the Gentile rulers lorded it over their people. There was rarely any question at the time Paul was writing about who was in charge. There was no debate about who had rights to do what. Everyone knew who was in charge. Everyone knew that that person in charge could do whatever they liked. They had enormous power over the people beneath them and everyone knew their place in the pecking order. So an instruction like this, mutual submission, to submit to one another, is turning their world upside down. It is a completely new idea. Now look at our own culture. Paul is turning our world upside down as well, I believe. Our culture is far more confused than their culture was. Because on the one hand, in our world, equality is a given. We believe that we're all equal. But often, in our culture, we behave like we're all in charge. In our culture, it's every person for themselves. You don't actually need a crisis to see this. Just try merging onto the Highland Park Bridge at 8 a.m. <laughs> and you'll see what I mean. And Paul says to both cultures, the contemporary one and, and our culture, you're all wrong, which Paul does a lot. Paul basically spends his whole life saying you're all wrong. It must be fun to be Paul. Uh, the call is not to say who is first. Neither is the call to say, well, we're all first. But really, I'm first. <laughs> the call is to say you first, after you. The call is to submit to one another. This little verse is all about becoming a you-first church. Now, there are lots of very different things that we could be talking about this morning. We could be talking about the judgment of God. We could be talking about repentance. We could be talking about healing. We could be talking about how to worship when our world is being disrupted. I suspect that in the coming weeks, if we're at all sensible, we will talk about every single one of those things. But this is the passage that we planned to speak on four months ago when we planned this sermon series. And it is absolutely perfect for today, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a passage about human relationships at a time when human relationships are going to be challenged in all sorts of ways. Funny, really, isn't it, that God ordained for us to talk about this thing today.
submitting to one another, putting each other first out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is kind of amusing. If I had said to you, out of context, without any warning, just met you in the street and fired a theological question at you, what do you picture when you hear the word reverence? I wonder what would have come into your minds. Maybe you would have pictured something very spiritual, holy, perhaps. Churchy, maybe? Something in this room? What is reverence? Maybe you pictured a posture of the body, like kneeling or bowing. Uh, maybe you were picturing the sort of silence of the mouth, just, just silent prayer, something very quiet and, and, and very serious and somber. Maybe the prospects of the next few weeks and months are actually disturbing to you because you love this reverential place. I hope you do. It's designed to be used as one. But here what we see in the pages of Ephesians, and in fact just in this verse alone, is that a virus cannot take away your reverence. And that is because reverence is entirely practical. The, eth- the, the essence, if you like, of reverence is not how you look. And the essence of reverence is not how or even where you worship, but actually the essence of reverence is how you treat people. And that means that on an ordinary day when the sun is shining and no one is sick, you can come into church wearing all the nicest clothes, saying all the right prayers, and standing and sitting and kneeling at all the right times and bowing to stuff, whatever it is that you're bowing to. But if you're not submitting yourself to the needs of those around you, there is no reverence. In fact, you are irreverent, no matter how somber and churchy you might look. Now, I've told this story before, but I'm becoming old, so I get to tell my stories more than once. <laughs> and Jesus did it, by the way. You know, he just told the same stories quite a lot, so it's, it's very godly, um, <laughs> I, I believe. And uh, when, uh, when, when we uh, were a little bit younger and we, could, uh, we still had fresh stories, uh, the kids were young, we had a double stroller, and uh, I once decided that what we were going to do as a family to be a bit sort of environmental or whatever, is we were going to walk to church. And I have absolutely no idea why I decided that we would walk to church, because we actually owned quite an elaborate motorised child mobility and transportation device. Uh, It's called a car. (laughs) And uh, of all the days that I could have picked for this exercise, it had snowed which in Great Britain is practically an act of God. And uh, there was no salt on the sidewalks. The snow had melted and refrozen in ruts. And uh, the stroller with little tiny wheels just kept getting stuck in the ice and the snow. And Kat, on the walk, twisted her knee. And her fibromyalgia, which is triggered by things like cold and children and walking, was flaring up. And uh, the kids were screaming at each other. And we stopped halfway on the journey to church for a fight. And Kat said, this is selfish. And I kept forcing us to walk. And uh, in my mind, I thought that I was like Shackleton in the Antarctic. (laughs) I said I will get you out of this situation alive, and I will get you out of this situation alive. Just seen the movie. Uh, It dawned on me 
at some stage that I was not Shackleton, in fact I was Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> this was a very big, fat, silly spiritual fail. This was dumb. This was like Husband 101, don't do this stuff. There was no way that I belonged in the church that morning. It was a little bit of a problem because I was the pastor. <laughs> Um, I had to repent to cat before I could preach. It's like five minutes before the service. It's like the Holy Spirit has, has, has left the building. <laughs> this, is, this is, you know, this is trouble. Uh, it, it was, um, it was actually uh, one of the most emotional and relational moments because cat kind of had to receive it for me to lead the people of God. I had to mean it. I had to uh, repent. It was, it was, it was reverent as I knelt before her and said, I am so sorry. I've made a horrible mistake, darling. Would you forgive me? Um, reverence is directly tied to the way that we relate to one another. The way we treat people is what reverence is all about. And it's relevant because over the coming weeks, I think our reverence is going to be tested a little bit. Uh, some of us, we're going to be cooped up with our families for very long days. And uh, that is going to bring its own challenges. The nervous chuckles in the room. Guys listening at home, I don't know if you could pick that up, but there were nervous chuckles <laughs> in the room. It's going to bring challenges, isn't it, when we're cooped up with those people that we love. Um, I'm an extrovert. My absolute favourite moment of the week is coffee hour, when we all get to talk to each other. Kat is an introvert. Her absolute favourite moment of the whole week is when we all leave the house. And she's going to be in it with us for a very long time. These weeks will be a test of our reverence. There will be a test about whether we're really a church or not. And uh, some of us, on the other hand, will be isolated, won't we? Uh, for those of us who are well, this is going to be a test of our willingness to put other people first. While the world panic buys, will the church panic give? Will we treat other people as more important than ourselves? Wouldn't it be great if the church did that? Wouldn't it be great if the church had prepared more than it needed and gave things away? And visited people, if they could, and telephoned people every day. Wouldn't that be great? If you want to revere Christ, if you want to be a reverent believer, a Christ follower, a worshipper, wouldn't it be notable if you submitted your needs to the needs of others as if your life depended upon it? Reverence is about relationship. That has not changed. The word reverence, in fact, uh, in the original language is phobos, from which we get phobia. It means fear. That's what the word reverence means. What are you fearing right now? Is it the Lord or is someone above that now? Our fear of Christ, in a very good way, should outrank all other concerns that we might have. What that means is that means living like Jesus. And go back to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. How did Jesus live? He died so that we might have life. Reverence is 
reverential. Reverence is relational. Reverence is submissive. I want to say this to you as well. Reverence is emotional. This is not a sort of stoical call for the church to have a stiff upper lip and pretend that nothing is going on. That's not the call. Hebrews 5.7 describes Christ's reverence. If you want to see what reverence is, just simply look at how Christ behaved when he was at his most reverent. I'll read it for you, Hebrews 5.7. In the days of his flesh, so it's already a very physical remark, ooh, spiritual wafting on a cloud. This is very physical. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now, it's actually a slightly different word for reverence here. Oddly, this word incorporates fear, but it also incorporates the con concept of piety and, and religious veneration. A tear-streamed prayer, beating fists on the floor, blowing of the nose, is reverential. Gut-wrenching prayer is reverential. It is the churchiest word I know. Have you ever thought about praying like that? Uh, reverence is loud. Reverence is physical, obvious, heartfelt, relational, submissive, and emotional. If you want to see reverence, church, look at a relationship. What timely advice this is. The world is watching us right now. The default faith system of the world has just been shaken, has it not? Jesus' name in the book of Revelation is the Morning Star. It's also the name of the reports that tell you how the markets are doing. Many people start their morning devotion with a quick look at the stock exchange. The faith of the world is being shaken. The me-first world that puts its faith in itself, has suddenly found a problem beyond its ability to control. That's what you're seeing on your screens. And so the world is doing the only thing it can do in a situation like this, buying toilet paper. <laughs> what else is there to do? Eventually, when the world has enough toilet paper, they might start asking what the church is doing. What is the church doing? We believe in the God of the resurrection. We believe in a God who uniquely had the power of life and death, and for some strange reason chose death to give us life. In God's economy, these could be the best days of the church. This could be the church at its most reverent and most churchy and most powerful most effective. And praying before service, just I think it's prophetic, Ben just went into one, and it was good stuff. It was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, crumbs, he's better at this than me. <laughs> it was good stuff, church. And he said these words. I mean, I'm just, I can't rob them all. I've got to leave some for his next sermon, but it's good stuff. He said, we're not being called into survival mode. We're being called into revival mode. Isn't that great? Oh, you know, I mean, the spirit gave it to him, you know. Worship God, not Ben. But 
Isn't that true? The church has been called into a revival. Revival always starts with repentance. Revival starts on its knees. And revival is contagious. Way more contagious than any virus, in fact. Right now, the world is buying toilet paper. It is doing that. But in a few days, it will stop doing that because there is a limit to the amount that you need. And uh, then the world will start to ask if there's more to life than this. We will respond with the word yes and We already have it. Can't you see that in the way that we live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the coming weeks we pray that we would find great comfort in the scriptures and not just comfort to survive, but a calling to revive. We pray, Heavenly Father, in these coming sermons, uh, as we look at this new life that we have in Christ Jesus, that we would be emboldened to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and emboldened uh, to pray. Father God, we pray for those who are suffering and those who are alone and those who are frustrated with their families. And we pray, Father, that you would bless us in our homes and bless us online. Father, if we're able to meet in small groups in some way, we pray that you would anoint those times. Father, would this be the high point in the life of the church, not a limping along? but are singing from the rooftops. A merciful Father, protect these United States, we pray, and uh, empower your churches to be a beacon of light in this dark moment in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.